Antarctica. We've been there before, haven't we? The world's most southern continent is trod on by few. Usually it's the realm of scientists, adventurers, and explorers. A pristine petri dish of research and personal pain that pushes humans to the brink of their comfort zones. Isolation and extreme cold mark the usual excursions on this continent. But there's another way to experience this wild, remarkable place. Today's guest went to Antarctica in a way that has become increasingly popular among world travelers. In relative comfort and style, she went as a passenger on board a cruise ship. Today, she's here to tell us about that journey, a bucket list voyage of a lifetime. to the Get Lost Podcast. It's a brand new season. I'm your host, Joe Sills, a freelance writer for outlets around the globe. Today's guest is also a freelance writer. Her work has appeared in respected publications like Travel and Leisure, Southern Living, Lonely Planet, and Condé Nast Traveler, because she fancy like that. She's a Texas <laughs> native with her thumb on the pulse of the Lone Star State, and she just returned from a trip way down south to Antarctica. Her name is Amanda Ogle. Amanda, hi. Hello, Joe. What's up? I haven't seen you so long. It's so good to hear your voice. Thanks. I think the last time I saw you, we were on a press trip for Nebraska. We were, man, <laughs> during during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like, there's this really interesting point in COVID where like press trips had been gone for a while. And I think the pandemic was like kind of winding down vaccines were coming out and nebraska sent us an invite and we're like fuck it like i haven't gone anywhere in a long time let's go let's go <laughs> let's go to the cornfields man <laughs> god and we did you know we met uh it was me and you and bailey freeman yeah and we met in i think it was omaha because where else would we meet yeah where the <laughs> fuck else do you fly in <laughs> yeah uh how would you in brief describe your nebraska experience Oh man. Um Nebraska. Uh God, that was a weird deal. Um I think that's it. That sums it up. That's it. <laughs> it <was a> weird... <laughs> Clown museums. Um we floated Clown down museum. a river in a bucket. Yeah, that was cool. That was super cool. Tanking was cool. Um went to the cornfields, obviously. Oh, the marble guy was so cool. Oh, there was an old, really old man. Like tree beard old that had a marble museum, right? That was cool. And then the uh the 
haunted spooky artifacts museum in omaha that was so sus oh shit that's the museum of shadows i remember this and uh it's in yeah, omaha it's if you're there check it out museum of shadows it was like haunted dolls and shit all over the walls yeah and like the actual annabelle dolls that they used for that movie and then they're like the basement full of like the extra 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 spooky stuff like murder weapons and yeah mm. like devil horns and yeah that's fine yeah were you legitimately freaked out when we went in there then the basement yeah um i was okay until we walked toward the back wall where it was like do not cross this line absolutely do not touch and I saw like this, the devil horn mask and all the weird pagan stuff. And I just got this really weird feeling in my chest and I bailed. <laughs> I remember there being like a, a bucket of holy or a bowl of holy water, like before you went in there and you were supposed yeah. to spritz. Yeah. I didn't go in there either. I was like, hell no. Like, I don't know. I don't. Mm -mm. And I remember that you had like a ring or something and Bailey had like a necklace or you both like had protection and I didn't have mm -hmm. anything. And I was like, I'm the only one of these three that doesn't have a rosary or anything. And I felt <laughs> so unprotected. And I literally got a rosary after that trip. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you, you probably should have. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I bought a rosary. Yeah. For spooky oh. stuff, for spooky travel. Oh my God. Well, that was a really fun trip. And sorry to say, I never really wrote about it. Cause I didn't, I didn't know what to say. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was a weird I'm still trip. pitching it i'm still pitching it it's hard sell nebraska but let's talk about what's not a hard sell for a travel writer uh you just got back from antarctica oh man life life moment trip of a lifetime trip of a lifetime will you please walk us through i mean how do you how does this happen because i've seen in the last few years there's there's been a lot of travel writers that have made this cruise to Antarctica. Mm -hmm. um, and on the show, I mean, we've talked to Mark Wood, who's a polar explorer, mm -hmm. who walked to the South Pole alone. Uh, mm -hmm. We've talked to J.J. Kelly, who's a cinematographer, who was filming in Antarctica in the interior. But we've actually never covered, like, a cruise that anyone can take. I mean, provided you have the funds, you could go online right now and book this. Yeah. So that's what I'm really interested in, is this is like a... A travel experience you don't have to be an explorer you don't have to really have any special skills other than the will to go so talk to us about this like you get an invite and and what are you thinking right so obviously as travel writers we get invited to places to experience destinations hotels yada yada and I went to Antarctica with Viking Cruises. This was actually my third Viking cruise. So oh. I know the PR team well. Uh, I actually went with a few other travelers that I've done Viking Cruises with. So it was sort of this weird thing where I feel like, I don't want to sound like a douche, but I feel like I manifested it a little <laughs> bit. Like You sound like it, a douche. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It. Go on, go on, go on. All right, so... <laughs> I don't know how it happened. Like, I feel so blessed to have been invited to go at a young age, 31, and I just marked off my number one bucket list destination. I don't know how that happens, but oh my I, God. I didn't know it was number one for you. That's cool. number one. Uh, yeah. Number one. I've been wanting to go for since I was a teenager, but back then people weren't really, for, to my knowledge, you know, people, tourists weren't really going mm -hmm. and 
then within the last 10 years, I've noticed, you know, people are going, tourists are going. And then within the past just few years, I've really picked up on a lot of cruise lines are going. Mm-hmm. Still, I never thought I would get to go and been doing some stuff with Viking, some travel, and they reached out and asked if I would go. And I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. So immediately I'm like, yes, I'm going. I don't care. <laughs> like We're going. So that's kind of how it started. It was 13 days, 12 or 13 days. Um, six, I think six or seven actually in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely amazing. I am super pumped that I went with Viking. They are definitely one of the more, I would say, luxury ships going there. It's not so much expedition, it's more luxury, but they definitely are doing a lot of science down there, which I respect. And I really kind of tapped into that while I was there. And I, I mean, it's just awesome, the stuff they're doing down there. So I want to talk to you about some stats, because you mentioned like as a teenager, and we're about the same age. Um, so as a teenager, people weren't really going. Uh, this is data from the International Association of Antarctic Tour Operators, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I think, basically like a trade association for tourism uh, outfits down there. Yeah. Um, 1992, about 6,700 tourists uh, went to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Uh, by 99, that was about 15,000. And in 2019, it's 56,000 mm-hmm. people. Um, yeah. right now the figure is estimated to be between that 56,000 number and about 78,000 people, Yeah, which is a lot to be going to Antarctica in my opinion. But when you yeah. think about a, a national park or something like that, another protected area, this is, this is nothing compared to any national park in the U S yeah, no, I totally get it though. And I really have also had this conflicting, these conflicting thoughts about going there myself. Like, Again, I never thought I would go. I always just thought, you know, those are that's for explorers, that's for scientists. I don't go. And mm-hmm. then even when I found out, oh, more and more people are going. Well, I'm not going to go. I'm never going to get to go. And I I always kind of thought, I don't even know if I want to go because it's our last sort of pure pristine place. It's unexplored. It's undiscovered. There's so much mystery and mm-hmm. part of me really feels like we need to leave it like that. Leave it alone, you know, like stop touching stuff and messing everything up like we do as humans but then on the flip side it's like okay if all of these people are going why not go you know why not take that chance to go and see and explore and see it for myself and also see what sort of science is being done there from a tourism perspective so it really was conflicting and I'm glad I went. I really am. I learned a lot, a lot of science going on, especially with the Viking vessels. So yeah, it was amazing. And I don't use the word amazing a lot. It's a very lazy word, but Antarctica is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk to you about the science aspect of that. But first, uh, I kind of want to get into storytelling mode here. And I want to let you uh, take us through this trip and talk to us like through the lens of a traveler. Because um, okay. maybe you're not a professional scientist, but you are a professional traveler, so you know that voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so walk us through it. You're gonna go on the trip of your lifetime. Um, take us yeah. from Texas down to wherever the hell you set off from, and <laughs> and across uh, the Southern Ocean, and just describe everything that that you saw. What does the the ship look like? How big is it? 
Um, what's the level of excitement? Just go through the whole spiel. Before we get back to the show, I want to talk to you guys for a quick second about my hometown, Memphis, Tennessee. You guys know that Memphis is a place surrounded by soul. It's where the blues became rock and roll. It's where soul music found its groove and hip-hop turned trap beats into sounds that still top the charts today. I love spending time in Memphis, walking its streets, and feeling the energy from decades of recordings rising up from the sidewalk. It's a real thing. When I'm looking for a place to pick up artwork, gifts, or flavors that remind me of home, I always swing by Feelin' Memphis. It's right there, downtown on South Main Street. Feelin' Memphis is run by my good friend, Tawanda Pirtle, who grew up with me way back when I was just a college dropout designing t-shirts for her chicken joint, Jack Pirtle's Chicken. Tawanda has always been there for me as my career morphed into the world of travel writing and podcasting, and you can usually find her there for you behind the counter at Feelin' Memphis. So next time you're strolling through downtown, look for the big blue trolley in the window. Tell Tawanda I said hello. While you're in there, scope out some funky, hand-curated gift items to share the energy of Memphis with someone you love. That's Feelin' Memphis at 509 South Main Street. Tell them the Get Lost podcast sent you. Now, back to the show. I am based in Fort Worth, so I am near a huge airport, so love that. I flew straight from Dallas-Fort Worth down to Buenos Aires, Argentina. We spent a day there just as other travelers from all over the U.S., Canada, other places were also kind of funneling into Buenos Aires. And did a day there. Then we did a charter flight. So everybody on that Viking ship was on the same flights all day long, getting down to Ushuaia, the southernmost city in the world at the point of Argentina. Mm. So we land there, hang out, have another day just to kind of, again, get everybody that's going to be on this ship in the same place. And from there, we sailed across the Drake Passage down into Antarctica. What What's going through your mind when you get to the southernmost city in the world? And it's got to be like a bizarre thing in itself. <laughs> and then you see the ship that you're going to be on. Like you actually see it for the first time. Honestly, it still wasn't real for me at that point. I see the ship. It's huge. It's not, I don't want to say huge in the sense of, you know, it's not some... 1,000 person cruise ship like that. I think we had around 300 tourists on board and the staff was about 250 or something like that. So total, we've got 500, 550 people on this ship. Mm -hmm. But at that point, I still was, wasn't believing it. I just kind of had our little day in Ushuaia and saw the ship. We board the ship. It's beautiful. You know, it's luxury. It's very easy. I mean, it's sort of like herding cattle the way that they kind of get everybody on board and process everybody but it went super smoothly you know they tell you exactly where to be how to tag your luggage it's color-coded it's this it's that we get on the ship and straight on the ship they check you in um get your credit card information on file all of that for spending so they don't nickel and dime you the whole way mm -hmm. they, they nickel and dime you on the back end no 
other, I mean, a lot of other cruise lines are known for like nickel and diming. Viking really doesn't like a lot of stuff. Everything's included, like your food, your drink, your excursions, all of that. But the, you know, the credit card for incidentals and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we get everybody on board. We do dinner. We've got drinks rolling, all of this and that, and we start across the Drake Passage, which mm. the Drake Passage, as you probably know, is can can be treacherous. Could also be chill. Uh, some of the dar- uh, the deepest waters in the world. Proper exploration shit, really. Yeah, it's kind of a convergence of seas, I guess you would say. I mean, you've got the Pacific and the Atlantic kind of blowing right down into the Southern Ocean. So we've got gnarly waves, high winds. You really never know what you're going to get with Drake Passage. They call it Drake Lake or Drake Shake. Drake Lake is when you get a super smooth sailing, no real issues. You're good to go. Drake Shake is gnarly, <laughs> 40-foot waves. You're probably puking. So, <laughs> which, which version of this did you run into? Actually, we got Drake Lake. And I am just so prone to motion sickness, though. I was still just fucked up. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's what cool, would though. you have done with 40 foot waves? Oh, I would have died. <laughs> R.I.P. to me. I saw um, um, another one of our guests, Jamie Lafferty, who's a Scottish travel writer. He was going on a different cruise the same time as you. It, he yeah. got Drake Shake and they look, it looked wretched. It looked like yeah, people were getting like thrown around and battered and just bunkered yeah. down for days. So actually, when I was flying home after the cruise, both of the people next to me on my flight were on different cruises in Antarctica. And one of the ladies sitting next to me, we actually, our cruise, we left Antarctica a day early. We were supposed to have one more day. And there was a massive storm rolling in. And our captain made the decision to cross Drake a day early just so we would have Drake Lake and not a horrific Drake shake. And we did. We crossed it again. Same story. Very calm. But her ship did not. And they stayed. And so she crossed with Drake Shake. And she said it was 40-foot waves. And they made them all stay in their cabins in, like, in their rooms because it was so bad. Yeah. This is my... If I ever get invited, I guarantee you that that's the version I get. I get... <laughs> I, absolutely. I will, like, mark this down in a few years. Maybe there'll be a show where I actually go... And I will absolutely have gone through the most wretched shit possible. So <laughs> you'll be up there like Lieutenant Dan. I swear. You yeah. This is storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you get so you're on the Drake Passage and, and that must have been like pretty thrilling anyway, because it's it is a legendary yeah. uh, section of the ocean. It is. What's out there? Do you see anything? So early on, very early on, we're still like low winds here. We're kind of just chilling. We saw our first penguin colony. There were just these two huge rocks in the middle, and there was hundreds of them on these rocks. So you see that, and you start seeing some seabirds and such. But other than that, not really. No, you don't see much. Like, my sister was like, text me pictures. And I was like, there's nothing to send you pictures of. Like, we're just on the ocean. Yeah. So... Yeah, I did my drama mean. I was like rotating drama mean, Zofran, and these little white tablets that I went down to medical and got because I was just already feeling kind of sick. Mm-hmm. And I was rotating all of that. Nothing was really helping. 
And shout out to Chris, who works at Cruise Critic, for giving me one of those uh, patches that you put behind your ear. What are they called? Scalpa. Uh, they're like the anti-seasickness patch thing. They are the seasick patches, yes. The Scalpa Maline or something like that? Scalpa uh-huh. Maline? Uh-huh. Yeah, so it was those. I got one of those from Chris at Cruise Critic, and she saved my life. What does that so. do? I mean, it's just a, like a nicotine patch, basically, but not nicotine. Ish ish yeah like you honestly just feel kind of loopy like the first one i put on when we're crossing drake i was already laying in bed like which is the worst thing you can do for yourself when you're seasick but i was laying in bed seasick and my travel buddy walks in and was like hey i got you a patch put it on i don't know what it's gonna do but put it on like we gotta Mm -hmm. do something Mm -hmm. and i put it on and it really made me just super sleepy i went to sleep pretty quick woke up super drowsy groggy but um I was feeling better by the next day. And then on the way home, when I put one on again to cross Drake again, I put it on and then went to like a science lecture. And I just, you feel like you just lose part of your like brain almost like you're not as sharp. You're not as. It's like <laughs> eating just, a gummy. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you don't feel seasick. So I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Drake passage is ongoing. Um, and just walk us through the route. I really don't know like what route you went and how you got down there. So just talk about like the feeling of how how it felt when you first start to see like land or ice. Or ice, yeah. So crossing the Drakes, we started in the evening. And the next morning I woke up and we were basically in a slushy. It was just pancake ice and chunks and you just can, it, it literally sounded like we were just kind of slicing through a slushy. Mm. And it was probably mid morning. I looked out and I saw the first kind of ice shelf and it's just sort of surreal. I didn't really believe it at first. You know, I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> there it is. Like there's Antarctica and it's just pure white everywhere you look it's surreal honestly i'm trying to find a better way to explain it you really do at that point start understanding how far away you are from civilization how far away you are from everyone and everything you know Mm. i mean that's when it was really hitting me like oh i'm at the bottom of the world there's no nothing around me but the people on this boat there's there's nothing it's just silence basically so did you find did you find something in that feeling of remoteness and isolation i don't know i guess i'm kind of going through some life stuff right now big big life changes and to me it was sort of a way to to kind of help me understand how to be alone i've always had somebody else or that person or you know and i've never really been alone and I've been navigating that throughout the past few months. And I guess kind of to me, it was like, wow, like now you're really alone. Like you're down here at the bottom of the world. And like, this is what it feels like. And it was, it was honestly great though. Like it was just such a unique experience. Sorry, I'm trying to explain this the best no, way. I think that's great. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had travel experiences similar to this where you just feel like you're out there and it's just you. I mean, you, there's people around you, but a lot of times as travel writers, we are kind of alone in a crowd because we're fucking yeah. weird people and we're cerebral <laughs> and, you know, like 
like we get in our feels a lot and um we are sensitive little souls yeah, yeah so that feeling and there were a few moments like there were a few moments on that trip where i just kind of was by myself like our uh, we didn't have balconies on this one this was the first biking ship i've been on without balconies but we had these the our big window like our big bay window in every room it would roll halfway down. So every night, like I was like rolling the window down and just staring at icebergs and glaciers and stuff. And I had a few nights there where I was just sitting there and I would just cry. Like, I was just like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe that this is happening for me. And it's, it was just so many things. Like I'm having all these life changes. I'm going through all this shit in my life, but also I'm so blessed to be in Antarctica. I'm so blessed to be seeing these things. And experiencing this and you know part of you wonders like why is that person that's always been there not here with me you know like Mm -hmm. why why aren't they here why aren't they seeing this with me and it sort of was just this realization of like they weren't supposed to be you know like and I think that's why I was like crying one night was because like going through all this shit and I'm like why is he not here with me right now and then I'm like looking out across this ice sheet these glaciers all of this undiscovered stuff these you know these places that probably have never been walked on you can't even see how you i mean you can't even see where these glaciers end Mm. it's so incredibly stunning and i'm just sitting there like questioning these things and then it just hit me and i'm like maybe they weren't supposed to be here you know like it sort of was like really concrete that that part of my life is done that chapter is closed and you're going into the new season of your life and they don't need to be in this new season of your life. So, mm-hmm. and here you are and you, and it's okay. Like you're okay. And it's okay. Like it's uh, thriving really <laughs> rough sailing sometimes, you know, and you know, you've always got to deal with stuff. Yeah. Like I was there, I'm there. So you are there. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you're drifting and, and cruising through this slushy and you see these icebergs all around you. And I'm sure that you're thinking about Titanic and how many of you can fit on a single door. Um, <laughs> Dude, Jack could have fit on the door. I know. They recently uh, released a, a Rolling Stone article where James Cameron like had to scientifically analyze the door scene with Jack and Rose. And like he admitted that, you know what? Jack could have lived. So Rose was selfish. R.I.P. Leo. Damn. R.I.P. Fucking James Cameron. (sighs) Anyway, (laughs) so you're cruising, you're cruising, slushy, icebergs, all this. Um, And what are you guys doing on board the ship? And like, how many days of this do you go through before you actually like see the continent itself? So pretty much that same day, that morning when I saw my first kind of ice shelf glacier situation it was probably by noon that we i'm gonna go that we i have this map let me go get this map it was probably by noon that day that we really were kind of in a little bay and we were surrounded by glaciers Mm -hmm. so see i think the first place was fournier bay yeah the first place we went into was fournier bay and that day to me was very typical Antarctica. It was so windy, kind of raining, snowing, wind sideways. It was just a blustery, hellacious little day. We actually 
were supposed to have Zodiac landings that day and we couldn't land because of the weather conditions. So we all just ended up doing Zodiac cruises. So. And what is that like? Tell us, just tell us what a Zodiac is for people that don't know. It's, it's not the serial killer or the uh, astrological <laughs> thing. Yeah. So it's basically like a little inflatable raft. And you can fit probably eight to ten people in it, including your little boat, your little Zodiac captain. There's a little motor on it, and you just sort of cruise around. And those were the things that we took to go on to land onto little islands. Or if there were multiple days where we couldn't land, we would just cruise around in the Zodiacs. So Mm -hmm. our excursion options were Zodiac cruises and landings, kayaking, Submarines and special operations boats. Wait, submarines? Yeah, but I didn't get to go on one. This is fucking life aquatic? <laughs> yeah. But I didn't get to be Bill Murray. Yeah. Um, all right, so, keep going. I'm really envious of this. So the way that the excursions get booked is... Viking will email you and say before way before the trip and say all excursions are open go mm-hmm. and they encourage you to do it as fast as you can. I got the email and three out like three hours after they sent it and I immediately got on the booking website and all kayaks and all submarines were already taken. Mm-hmm. So I booked Zodiac landing Zodiac cruises. I booked special operations boats and then I emailed and just said, hey, I couldn't get on a sub and I couldn't get on a uh, kayak and they waitlisted me. I actually did end up getting on a kayak, but I never got on a submarine. It's like a submarine you get in. Yeah. So they have four of them. They're all yellow and they're all named after a beetle. So the one on our boat was Ringo. (laughs) This is like, if you guys can see my face right now. Yeah, I could send you a video. Like one day the sub was launching right out of my, I could see it from our little bay window in the room. And you could like, so you take a Zodiac out to load in to the top of the sub. And then they close the hatch. There's six people, I think, and the captain, three on one side, three on the other, and the captain. And then they just take you down, 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 down. And from what I heard, it was very dark. You don't see a ton, but some people saw jellyfish, starfish anemones things like that doesn't sound that cool but it's cool to go to the bottom of the southern ocean in a yellow submarine named ringo yeah i mean that's a pretty cool like life thing and that's also the part of this where i'm like as as a member of the explorers club and all that like i'm supposed to be dedicating my life to science and advancement so like when i hear about that i'm like oh (laughs) yeah I don't know. I just feel like that's a thing that like scientists do. Like we, when we were growing up and you see on Nat Geo, um, yeah, who I have, a, a, I'm going to have a word with in this episode, by the way. Um, okay. <laughs> but when you see that on Nat Geo, uh, they go down in the sub and it's always like a yellow or an orange or whatever. And they're like doing yeah. sciencey things. So do you know that um, when these uh, passengers go down, are, are they doing anything? Are they collecting samples or, or is there anything like sciencey involved? I think that they are, I, since I didn't get to go, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think they are definitely trying to see what sort of species are down there because I know they saw what 
they saw this type of jellyfish on one of them and they were all super excited about it. I don't remember what type of jellyfish it was, but somebody showed me a picture. It was this massive jellyfish mm-hmm. and they were super excited because apparently, you know, they didn't know those were down there. You don't ever see them. So they're, I think they are collecting data in that way. Okay. There's all sorts of science going on across these boats. Like it's crazy. Um, Can you talk to us about that? Because I know we got excited about submarines, but like you did do a lot of other really cool things. So what did you experience on a science level out there? So when you're not on an excursion, there are activities happening all day long. Everything from live music and photography workshops to daily lectures. There's anywhere from like four to six scientists on board every uh, Viking Polaris. We were on the Viking Polaris. The sister ship is the Viking Octantis. So there's anywhere from four to six scientists on board these vessels. So for example, we had an archaeologist. The main scientist was a geologist. We had a chemist. We all these things. And they kind of wear multiple hats in between doing zodiac excursions and helping guests. They're also giving lectures. So there were lectures on penguins, penguin habitats, the changing penguin habitats in Antarctica. There were there was an ornithologist on board talking about all the different types of birds that are specific just to Antarctica. There was a lecture, uh, the geologist gave a lecture on sort of how Antarctica is changing, how it's shifting, how it's, you know, melting, this and that. There were lectures on... um let's see microplastics we did a microplastics thing and it was so cool it was so interesting so what did you find interesting about microplastics i actually saw this on your instagram feed and and yeah yeah so tell us like you it was a literal picture of like what looked like a piece of a credit card or something yeah so what biking is doing what's cool about biking is or so like normal science normal data collection all of that you have to go through proposals and get stuff approved so you can get funding, this and that, which is sort of a slower process of getting funding. What's cool about this is the science on board is funded by the guests. I mean, the people that are paying to go to Antarctica are paying for this science. Okay. So let me pull up my notes here. So it is ecotourism. It's just ecotourism on a really expensive boat definitely ship sorry sorry boat people it's a ship ship. not a boat i'm sorry yeah definitely with a luxury slant though too definitely so like viking is partnering with the university of cambridge uh scott polar research institute and the cornell lab of ornithology and all of this science is again funded by guests who are paying to go to antarctica so for example the microplastics so what let me go to my notes here travel writer notes important thing so i know you're professional (laughs) so and this is just the notes that i took this is from what i understood as i was there there's not a lot of information as of yet on microplastics it's hard to get samples and because we were already going there, they were like, why don't we just collect some data since we're already going there? And mm-hmm. we have the ship and the sister ship continuing to go there so we can continue to collect ongoing data, get some hopefully better results. So one of the scientists on board 
was, well, actually all of them were curious about if microplastics had reached Antarctica yet, Mm -hmm. because Antarctica is surrounded by the Antarctic circumpolar current. Ah, yes. Yeah, the big current that flows around Antarctica. Like a circle, like sort of a protective barrier, more or less. Yeah, like, like west to east, I think. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like a barrier. And they were kind of wondering, is this current protecting Antarctica from microplastics? And the answer is no. Um, So what they are doing, and they, they collect this data as we travel, like as we're actually driving the ship. Mm -hmm. So they collect water samples as we're moving and specifically what we were looking at the water was collected south of the antarctic circle so they really thought like you know maybe microplastics hadn't reached there yet but Mm -hmm. they collected this water they put it through three different sieves you know like a Mm -hmm. sieve so they take this water and they're, they run it through three different, like a 100 macrometer, a 300 macrometer, and a 500 macrometer sieve, which is basically sort of like a filter. Mm-hmm. And that's how they're collecting the samples to see if there's any microplastics in them. So Sort of like a really advanced coffee filter. A very, very advanced coffee filter, yes. Mm. And so they run this collected water through the sieves, and then collect the little samples, and then they look at the little samples through a microscope. And basically under this microscope, you see a bunch of tiny dots. Like you really have to zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. And from what I was told, let's see, I think it was 40% of microplastics are fibers, 60% are fragments. Mm -hmm. So we're in the lab. There's a lab on board, a wet lab. We are all in the lab looking at these little samples through a microscope. And all of us are seeing different things. All of, A lot of us are seeing microplastics, but my lab partner zoomed in really, really hardcore. And there was just this, it literally looked like a piece of blue painter's tape. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that doesn't look right. You know, like that looks not like a natural organism or plankton or something like that. So we called over the chemist and she looked through and she was like, oh yeah, that's a fragment for sure. A hundred percent. Like that's microplastics. And then other people were like, oh, look at mine, look at mine. And also finding microplastics. So she basically was like, when they first started doing this, she said she was shocked at how many microplastics they're seeing. And the data is still ongoing they're still trying to figure out you know how at what rate this is happening um how polluted it already is kind of where we're going so yeah i I mean it sucked it was sad like i was like damn we can't have anything nice (laughs) we we ruin everything yeah and and there's studies um for those of you that are unfamiliar with microplastics you by the way you should be at this point this is basic science stuff they probably teach kids in third grade now but um, you know, we're old and we don't go to science class anymore. So microplastics, um, most oftentimes, at least in the stories I've written about it, it, it comes from runoff. Um, a lot of times it comes mm-hmm. from um, like shower gels and soaps and clothing that's being washed, laundry that's being done. Uh, sometimes comes from pollution in the ocean, like um, plastic bags, 
um, and plastic mm -hmm. debris that deteriorates over time and then becomes like literally microscopic size to the point where it's like a plankton size thing, maybe even smaller. Mm -hmm. um, fish, um, sea life ingest this, and therefore uh, when you consume many of the animals that live in the ocean or lakes now, you are also consuming plastic. Right. You can imagine. Yeah. Not great for anyone. Right. Yeah. And so, like, actually, I talked with the chemist about this on board. Like, I was just talking to her a little bit about human impact on Antarctica and just how sad it is that we already have microplastics south of the Antarctic Circle and mm. this and that. And I kind of told her a little bit about how I was feeling just conflicted about I don't feel like people should go to Antarctica, but we are. Mm -hmm. We are. And she basically said, you know, tourism here is not going to stop. People are not ever going to stop coming here now that we know it's so easy to get here. But at least what we can do on ship on these, you know, ships like Viking has is collect science and collect data and use part of these funds for science and, you know, to have some good out of tourism, which I agree with. So that made me feel a little bit better about things. I don't um, disagree. I, th I think funding is really hard for scientists mm -hmm. to find in research and Antarctic research, especially really expensive. So, I mean, you're right. And my opinion is that we're going there and yes, there's a carbon footprint, but someone, whether it's you or someone else is gonna like, it's happening. It's happening. Exactly. So, yeah. So as a travel writer, like, or a journalist to the degree that we could call ourselves journalists. Um, the J word. Yeah. It's <laughs> contentious at times, but isn't it not, our, is it not our job to document? And if this is happening anyway, should we not hop on board? If Richard Branson called me and asked me to go to space, I would probably go because someone's going to exactly. take that spot anyway. Like, no, like you're not going to stop the rocket from taking off. You're not going to stop the cruise ship from taking off. And exactly, you know, it's just that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, it's not going to stop. We've already started. And just like you had mentioned earlier, there's more and more and more people every year going. So why not go and at least report on the data being collected and see what is happening here scientifically, you know, so. I'm encouraged by the fact that Viking at least seems to like be able to confront climate change and acknowledge that there is an impact you can't go from no one visiting this place besides Ernest Shackleton and Roald Emerson to like 70,000 people a year without impacting it right 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 and these people that at least with Viking you know the people on these ships are I mean these aren't these are not cheap these are not cheap cruises so the people on these ships are affluent um they're you know they're they're able to understand science and what humans are doing to this planet and i think that those are the types of people that you know they again have money they are able to care about this and maybe make a difference you know maybe actually physically seeing microplastics under a lens would make them be like wow like I'm in this pure, pristine place and look at what's happening. Like, how can I, how can I make a difference? So did you maybe. get the sense from some of these people that let's be clear in a totally different social tier than we are, but 
Did you get a sense from some of them that like what they were seeing firsthand did actually impact them? Can you repeat that? You kind of cut out what, did what they were seeing. Did, what? Yeah. Did you get a sense from some of these people that what they were seeing firsthand did impact them? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, they do try to do some citizen science on board. Um, it's still sort of, they're trying to figure out how to best do this. For example, the microplastics thing, like one of the scientists told me that they used to allow the guests to look at the, look under the lens, look at the samples and try to do a count and count how many microplastics you can see. But they were like, it's really hard to actually count, you know, are you seeing plankton? Are you seeing little pieces of sea life or are you seeing microplastics? And the numbers were getting skewed. So they had to kind of stop doing it that way. And right now they're doing it where they're again, like analyzing all the samples and then they just present the guests on board with the data. So I definitely think that they are able to, you know, look at the science and see the impact, you know, it's right in front of them, especially, you know, like there's a place on board called Expedition Central. It's kind of down on one of the lower levels and there are tons of interactive maps and charts and all sorts of data. And there's, you know, normally a scientist or two or three down there and they've got, you know, activities going on all the time, lectures going on. And you can just walk up and talk to them about this stuff and ask them about, you know, what do you think of you know, retreating, retreating glaciers or things like, you know, this and that, and they're able to show you stuff right then and there. So I definitely think that people under that are on these ships understand what's happening. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm encouraged by that. So let's move on from the science stuff. Cause we're probably boring the shit out of people now. Um, <laughs> let's go back to like as the traveler experience. Um, you do the Zodiac thing for a little bit and then, um, you actually have a chance to go out on the continent itself at some point. Yeah. So we went to, I got my little map here. Boop, 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 we boom. went to a few different islands and that definitely counts as touching down on Antarctica. So mm -hmm. yes, you do get to go on Antarctica. What people should understand about Antarctica is everything is weather dependent every single day, all day long. You have to have patience. You have to be understanding. I mean, we were supposed to have a Zodiac landing technically every day we were there. And mm -hmm. I think Zodiac landings were canceled three times, four times. And we ended up having to just do a Zodiac cruise because glaciers came in literally and blocked our landing where we were supposed to land. Or people in the morning got to go out on their Zodiac landings, but then a storm blew in, wind kicked up, weather, and the afternoon people got canceled. Mm -hmm. Or kayaking. Kayaking got canceled and subs got canceled constantly just because of weather. Mm -hmm. So you've really got to understand that you're at the mercy of weather here. Which to me was so cool, honestly. Like, I didn't mind. I was like, this is just, you are in such a remote area of the world where things can change and do change so fast. Sort of a reminder that really so. humans aren't meant to be there, you know? We're still, no matter how expensive your gear and your boat and everything is, um, you're not meant to be there. So. Yeah. Um. The experience right. of going out in that weather, how did you prepare for that as far as like clothing and things? 
Were you freezing the whole so, time? Actually, no. So it's summer there right now. And I am a chronic overpacker. So I brought all of these things like I always do. And I basically wore like two base layers. I would wear a pair of like fleece leggings and then another pair of leggings over that every day. And then Viking gave us a pair of pants. So I would put those kind of like shell external pants on over that. And then for top, I would do like a base layer and Viking gave us like a, like a mid-layer shell and then a top shell, like a jacket. So I would throw those on. I wore a gator every day, a beanie, glove liners, and then heavy duty gloves on top of that. And Viking provided us boots. I normally wore two pairs of socks and I was good to go. Like it was anywhere from about 25 degrees Fahrenheit to 34, maybe every day. That doesn't sound too bad. No, it wasn't. And I thought it was going to be so much worse. I really prepared for negative temperatures and we really didn't encounter that. I think that's definitely more in like, you know, internal Antarctica is definitely that, but kind of where we were, it wasn't. We actually had a sunny day one day. We were, we did a Zodiac landing and it was so sunny and beautiful. I ended up like taking off my jacket, taking off my gloves, taking off my hat. I was sweating out there. So that's a great visual, actually. It's just like chilling <laughs> in some sunglasses. Like, oh, I think I'm going to go get a tan today. Literally, I was like, um, I have sweat rolling down my back. I'm taking off my jacket. I'm taking off my mid layer. I'm taking off my hat. I'm taking off my gloves. Like, this is ridiculous. So the first day we landed at Fournier Bay was to me the most like typical Antarctica. That was the cold windy rainy just gnarly kind of weather going on like my face was chapped and uh, it was i loved it though that was very antarctica to me um what about your like wildlife experiences um, i know for me like the goal the reason to go to antarctica would be like i'm taking a long lens and my nikon and i'm taking some damn penguin pictures like all i want oh, yeah is pink so did you have wildlife encounters oh yeah oh yeah Penguins, 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 penguins. We saw some seals, uh, some Weddell seals, not leopard seals, because those are the seals that eat penguins. Mm -hmm. Jerks. Actually, no, that's just nature. I understand that. But um, no, we saw some Weddell seals. We saw a lot of whales, a lot of whales happening. Right now is perfect whale season. So we saw constantly humpback whales, just their whale tails or a mama and a baby they would have every day part of the activities were wildlife watch where the ornithologist or a nature expert would be up on the bow with binoculars and people would be out there, you know, trying to spot whales and all seals, all of that, all kinds of birds. Have you actually seen a whale before? I've never really seen one up close. I have. I saw them in, I, I still haven't seen a breach so my my I need to see a breach, but I've seen them in Maui and I've seen them in Oregon. Mm -hmm. So so you've seen now, whales, um, but you now, now you're in whales and Antarctica. So. Yeah, but no, what's I mean everybody wants is the penguins. Everybody wants the penguins, which we got. It was absolutely incredible. I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, and. We actually saw them at our first Zodiac landing at Fournier Bay. That was the first time we saw them. And that was still my favorite landing. And people are like, why? We had better landings. What about the sunny day at Des Moines Point? Or what about this day? And I'm like, no, I think the first one was it for me. Like, that was my favorite because it was an true Antarctica weather to me. 
And that was my first time seeing them. I mean, I could have reached out and touched them. They, you know, you're supposed to keep five meters from them, but they're very curious little creatures and they, they sort of just waddle up on you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're five, supposed to five meters is there. quite a distance, really. Well, yeah, five meters is a ways, but again, they creep up on you and then you just have to kind of back away or just stand there and let them pass. What do they do want? Like, do they, I mean, they just, just waddle up to you and like look at you or? Yeah, they just look at you. They're just curious. They don't, they're not afraid of us yet. They don't know what we are. So they just waddle up and kind of stare at you and move on, stare at you for a while and move on. They, we uh, saw a bunch of colonies and penguin colonies and heard all of them doing their little penguin calls and, you know, slipping and sliding around on the ice. Some of them had their babies trying to protect their babies from other penguins trying to steal their babies. So savage. it's just savage. They're kind of gross. They they kind of just go to the bathroom everywhere. So if, if you see a dirty little one, it's probably got poop on it. <laughs> what is it like to, to look into the eyes of a penguin in Antarctica? Um, I just kind of felt like I was invading on their space a little bit. You know, that's their, it's sort of like, get off my land. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but also they're just so freaking cute. You're like, I, I mean, I bet I have a thousand penguin pictures on my phone. Like there's just so cute and it's just, you can't believe you're there. Really. You can't believe you're in Antarctica. There's a penguin right there. There's a penguin right there you know, just everywhere around you living their lives, not knowing what you are, not understanding what you are. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, as we kind of wind down here, uh, talk to me about like, you said that landing is one of your favorite experiences. Did you have another experience that will stick with you throughout this trip? Like as the years go by, you'll look back and remember like, these are the one or two moments. Yeah, uh, kayaking. So I got on a kayak one day and we were super blessed. Uh, me and my other travel writer friend Katie got on a kayak. Beautiful blue sky day, sun shining, still calm water. It was at Des Moines Point. And we take the Zodiacs out. They hooked up our kayaks. We got in the kayaks from the Zodiac and we were just cruising through Des Moines Point and there were penguins porpoising everywhere. I mean, right outside of our boat, just kind of scared us. We were like, oh my God, they're, they're right there. They're right there. And then you, you can kayak right up to the rocks, the glaciers where they are. And we did kayak right up and they're just standing there looking at you. Like, what are you like? What's happening? And it was just incredible. You see them flopping into the water, jumping out of the water. Um, that was also a really good viewpoint to see the glaciers from the water. So we went through the little penguin colonies, this and that, and then we floated, uh, kind of kayaked to the glaciers and just seeing how huge they are from the water is, I mean, I can't even explain it. They're, they just glow blue. Like it, it seems fake that mm -hmm. they're that massive and that, they're that beautiful. They're that blue. Like there's a, still a place on this world that has these things. So that one will definitely stick with me too, for sure. Does being so close to ice like that put the perspective of a rising global climate in another like form for you? 
like this is the thing that is disappearing? Or does it still seem impossible? No, it doesn't seem impossible to me. It definitely seemed real. Some of those glaciers are definitely, you know, or icebergs, I should say. I should icebergs. We're floating around in icebergs, not glaciers. I need to say that. Um, yeah, some of them are still massive, 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 but then there are ones that aren't so massive that are small or the ones that you do see that are, they say the darker the iceberg, the older the iceberg. Mm -hmm. So if, if you see one that's like dark brown or black, it's like a thousand years old, but we only saw a few of those and they were super small. So to me, it definitely puts it into perspective for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Winding down. Um, I mean, you've done it now. You got your number one bucket list. Do you understand the allure of Antarctic cruises more than you did going into it? Did it demystify anything? Or are you still like just as enthralled with Antarctica as you were before you left? Um, I'm still super enthralled with it. I would definitely now go back. I there's every, they say every time you go is a different experience. You're never going to have the same day in Antarctica. Never. So I would totally go back. And I, I mean, we, you know, there was a lot that we missed out on too, again, just because of weather. So I would totally go back and see more, do more. Totally. Um, questions. Uh, and I feel like as a travel writer, we should shill a little bit. How can people experience what you did? They go to Viking and Google Antarctica. What? Yeah, you could do uh, Viking Antarctica cruises, and that will take you straight to their page, and you'll see your different options there. I believe Antarctica cruise time is about November through February. Mm -hmm. That's summer, so that's when you have to go. And yeah, you'll see your options there, and you can book from there. Uh, what's the best way for people to see what you write? Um, so I am currently pitching and still developing story ideas because I just got back like two days ago, but you could go to my portfolio, amandaogle.com. And I try to keep it updated with my newest stories there. You could also go to my Instagram, which is at a M O G L E a M ogle. I've got my link tree there where I post all my new articles so you could find them there. And yeah. That's how to find me. I would say Amanda's a really fun follow and you do a great job of like <laughs> keeping it real. Like there's not a lot of like Instagram B BS on there. It's like, this is my experience. Take it or leave it. Like to me, it's like a very Texan <laughs> approach to travel writing. It's like, this is what it is. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. I love thank that. You. I'm trying to, I try to not be like an influencer, just, you know, like posting just pretty pictures i try to have some context there so thank you yeah you're welcome there's context and substance um and last thing i told you guys earlier i would have a word for nat Geo in this episode and i do um and it ties into <laughs> to pitching so um, just the state of antarctic cruises and tourism i'm still befuddled myself i still don't know like would i go yeah do i think it's a good thing i don't know do i think science helps yeah that makes me feel better um but a while back, I pitched a story to Nat Geo about like over tourism in Antarctica because mm -hmm. I, I don't want to see it become the next Iceland. 
and not that I have the power to change mm-hmm. it. But like that's my idea was like I'm gonna pitch this. There's so many cruises going, and like I want to know how many, what they're doing, what the hell is going on, why is everyone I know in Antarctica, um, mm-hmm. and I never heard back. I never heard back, and I've sent it to an editor that usually responds. So I'm like that's pretty weird. And a few days later, I was scrolling through social media, and I saw a gigantic cruise ship with a Nat Geo logo on the bow in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, they're in this game, too. So, um, Yeah, they have been, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, Lin- the Lindblad expeditions that are through Nat Geo, yeah, they've, they've been in the game for a long, and the Antarctica game for a long time. Yeah, and it makes sense. And I still don't understand. Like, they license their name to so much stuff, and then they're, like, really... <laughs> and I know that some of the people that listen to this work for them or, like, freelance or our editors um they know that landed the wrong way with me and since then i've been kind of cross about antarctic tourism but i think hearing this experience from you sort of changed my mind you know like i said like it's weird for me it's conflicting like do i think that we should be there not really i think scientists should be there i think you know people that could help the situation should be there but we're there. Tourism is there. And it's not going to stop. No matter how much I want it to stop, it's not going to stop. So, you know, why, like you said, the boat is going to, the ship is going to sail either way. Why not be a part of it and see what's happening? See that place before it's gone and see what kind of science is happening on board. So. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. And whatever that makes us is what it makes us. So, yeah. Amanda, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'm really honored. Me. Yeah, it's it's the best. I'm so thrilled to have you on the new season. Um, listeners, I'm absolutely thrilled to have a new season. I know we were gone <laughs> for a little while, but uh, I got my life back together. <laughs> so we're going to be just fine here at the Get Lost podcast. Um, follow the it's show on honor. Instagram and follow Amanda. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. It was an honor. It is my, my pleasure. Everyone knows what they say about fish stories, but this one is true. A while back, I was mountain biking along the Arkansas River near a place called the Big Dam Bridge. In the distance, I could see the afternoon sun falling over Little Rock's lone round peak. Beside me, I saw a tranquil, rippling pool next to an old railroad bridge, secluded from the rapid river's flow. It was exactly the kind of spot. I'd bike there for. So I hopped off the bike, reached into a backpack, and pulled out a fishing rod. Then I spent the rest of the afternoon watching time slowly roll by in the warm afternoon sun. I even caught a few fish right there in that spot, with my bike laying on the ground and the shallow sand beneath my feet. This is the kind of fishing story that doesn't have a big catch or a record bass attached to it. It's just a peaceful afternoon by the water, the kind that helps you unwind from all of the problems in life. If you listen to this podcast, chances are you've got a nose for adventure yourself. And if that nose leads you to the water, I suggest picking up a tool that can help you enjoy more moments like these. When I travel, I often pack a fishing rod, and though many portable options abound, I like the rods from Wisconsin's St. Croix Rods the best. 
St. Croix's avid Trek and Triumph travel rods break down into a case that fits in a backpack, or an overhead bin, or behind just about any car seat. They're designed in the USA and made with care from a family-run company that knows some fishing stories don't require any exaggeration. Sometimes, just being on the water is enough. You can learn more about St. Croix's travel rods at stcroixrods.com and you can tell them to get Lost Podcast sent you. <laughs>